0: You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. One of the most frightening emergency situations that medical personnel must confront is the acutely agitated patient. The combination of high acuity, risk of injury to staff, and diagnostic uncertainty makes this a potentially dangerous situation. How can we best treat these patients both quickly and safely? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Gibson. Dr. Gibson is Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Director of Psychiatry Residency Education at the University of Michigan, and he's an attending psychiatrist on the University of Michigan Medical Center Adult Inpatient Unit. He has written over 50 papers, book chapters, and electronic curricula on schizophrenia, antipsychotic medications... And physician interactions with industry. Welcome. Thank
1: you. It's nice to be here.
0: Dr. Gibson, a paper you recently wrote caught my eye. It was in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry, and the topic was psychopharmacology in the emergency room. Uh, Can you please guide us through the relevant treatment principles at work here?
1: Yes, and particularly with regard to the emergency room, what we're generally thinking about are issues that are appropriate for treatment in the emergency room, not just starting treatment that will be continued someplace else. One of the first things that comes to mind is agitation, acute psychotic agitation in which the patient is anxious, uh, has heightened arousal, increased motor activity. There's often aggressiveness or threats, attempts to flee the emergency room, uh, lack of cooperation. It's the kind of situation that a lot of us who work in emergency settings, whether they're psychiatric settings or medical settings, counter fairly regularly, but which always carry a high risk, a high level of anxiety on the part of the staff as well as the patient. And uh, much of the article was focused on um, handling those patients.
0: It's frightening, really, for everybody, no matter how many times you've done this, to have this person who's out of control and you're in charge of calming them down.
1: Exactly. It is frightening, and the risks are quite real. In recent surveys of emergency room personnel, of psychiatric personnel in all settings, of psychiatric trainees, there was a tremendously high frequency of assaults. In fact, in a recent presentation that our residents were doing here, one of them told an anecdote about going to a nearby state hospital and asking the staff there, the head of the the, uh, physicians there, how many assaults they have on staff. The person said, oh, it's not too bad, we probably have two or three the residents said, two or three a year, that's really not very many. And the chief of staff said, no, no, I meant two or three a month. And those numbers are adding up. This is getting to be, to be quite a lot. So this is a dangerous situation and, and one that people approach with, I think, quite appropriate concern and a desire to act quickly and definitively in a way that's really going to make a difference. And that brings us to, to the first principle of treatment, which is to maintain everyone's safety. This is the highest priority. This is the first priority. Um, It means the patient's safety. It means staff safety, safety of other patients, and even safety of the community in the case of of a patient who might be trying to leave. So all of the treatment decisions, including physical management, verbal interventions, medication management, are focused on this top issue of maintaining safety. The second issue is to figure out what's going on. What's the underlying pathology here? Is this being driven by substances? That's a common cause for agitation, either substance intoxication or withdrawal. Is it driven by psychosis? Is the person um, hearing things that are disturbing to them? Uh, Is there a a really frightening delusion the person is subject to? Is it driven by a personality disorder? Is this someone who has a very low threshold or becoming angry and agitated and aggressive? Is this someone who is having cognitive problems? Is there a delirium that is occurring? Is there an infection that has had an adverse impact on the person's uh, cognitive abilities? So the second principle of treatment is to very quickly sort through that, often even before a formal evaluation, medical evaluation can take place to kind of look at the patient, look at the patient's history, and uh, try to get a sense of what direction this is going. The third thing is to identify the target symptoms. What is it that we're going to be treating here? Is it aggressiveness, anxiety? Is it the delusions or the hallucinations? Is it the cognitive impairment? Where is it that we can most productively intervene quickly? And then the final principle is that after sorting through all of that and coming up with the the class of medications that one is, is going to start with, the factor that most often determines what medication to choose within that class is going to be what route of administration is going to be most effective and most convenient. And in talking about patients with psychotic agitation, which is mostly what I treat and what that um, article that you were referring to was mostly about, that issue of route of administration, how to give this medicine, what form to give it in, is the issue that we deal with most often.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD. XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the Director of Psychiatry Residency Education at the University of Michigan, Dr. Michael Gibson. We are discussing management of acute agitation. Dr. Gibson, back in my day, which was a long time ago when I worked in the emergency room, it was basically I am held all for everybody and we we really didn't get any more sophisticated than that. I'm hoping things have changed a bit.
1: Well, a bit, but less than you might imagine. IM-Haldol is still probably the most common medication used in this setting, probably not the optimal medication. And so even though things haven't changed much, they probably ought to be changing. The only downside of the Haldol, really, is the side effect profile, that uh, there's a high risk for extrapyramidal side effects, Parkinsonian side effects such as rigidity, acute dystonic reactions, muscle cramps mainly of the head and neck, which are very frightening, potentially dangerous for the patient, may occur. And some of the newer drugs avoid those side effects and so spare some discomfort for the patient. The advantage of, of the Haldol or Haldol haloperidol is that it's readily available. You know it's always going to be there. You could be working in just about any setting and ask for it, and nobody's going to respond, well, we don't have access to that medicine, and that may not be true with some of the other ones. I prefer not to use it, however, and in most instances, I avoid it, and mostly I approach these patients, once I've determined that a psychotic agitation is the issue and I want to begin treatment, I begin with a combination of an antipsychotic and a benzodiazepine. The benzodiazepine that I pretty much always use is lorazepam or Ativan, and the reason is twofold. First, it can be given by any route. It's the only one of the benzodiazepines that can be given intramuscularly. It's also available for IV use, um, and, of course, it can be given orally. That convenience is really compelling. It has another advantage, though, in that it's very cleanly metabolized. It has no active metabolites, and it's metabolized in liver cytosol rather than liver mitochondria, which means that if the patient has enough liver function to be alive, this medicine is going to be metabolized at the same rate as it is in everybody else. So you don't have to worry about the medicine hanging around a long time. So it's a medicine that can be used without a lot of concern for, for medical issues. And I, I tell the residents that the first principle of, of emergency room psychiatry is that there's no psychiatric emergency that isn't completely alleviated, substantially improved, or at least not made worse by 2 milligrams of Ativan by any route. Well, that's kind of an exaggeration. Um, It is a good thing to remember.
0: Okay. So if you had to remember one drug, it sounds like that's the one to remember.
1: That's a good one to remember. Two
0: milligrams is a reasonable dose?
1: Two milligrams is the standard dose. I rarely go higher than that, and I only go lower if there's a clear reason for going lower, such as an older patient, a patient with significant cognitive impairment, something like that. And the only time you really have to be careful with that drug is in a patient who already has a sedative, hypnotic, or alcohol on board. There, that's, this medicine is going to be a problem. If you're giving it intravenously, which I rarely do, but if you're giving it intravenously, then you have to be very careful about respiratory depression. But if you're giving it orally or IM, those side effects are quite rare. Relative to other medicines, it's about as safe choice as you'll find.
0: Lorazepam can also be given sublingually, which maybe not in the emergency room in this kind of acute agitation, but certainly in a, in a physician's office, I think that can be, can be a huge advantage.
1: Well, there may be times when that's appropriate, even in this kind of a setting, if a patient is, is not terribly cooperative and you think that you might be able to get them to open their mouth long enough to pop a pill in there, to get them to pop a pill in there. but But where they're too disturbed, To go through the organized activity of taking a pill in a cup and putting it in their mouth and taking a glass of water and drinking it, where you're concerned about whether they're going to be cheeking that medication or not, Um, the fact that it's absorbed transmucosally can be a real help, which actually brings us to to the second medicine that I generally use together with the the lorazepam, which is one of the newer antipsychotics. And I generally prefer one of those that has a disintegrating oral tablet. There are currently three medications— that have the disintegrating tablets, um, aripiprazole uh, or Abilify, risperidone or risperidol, and olanzapine or Zyprexa, all work really well. The disintegrating tablets have the advantage of requiring an absolute minimum of cooperation on the part of the patient. Unlike the lorazepam, though, they are not absorbed transmucosally. They simply dissolve, and the medicine has to be swallowed and absorbed through the GI tract. So that's something to be aware of, that uh, the patient has to be able to swallow. But it's been quite rare that I've approached a patient with a with a syringe in one hand and one of these disintegrating tablets in the other and a sufficient group of staff around me and have said to the patient in as gentle but direct a way as I can, you know, you're just very disturbed right now, and we need to give you something for it. And I have this pill. That you just have to put it in your mouth and let it dissolve that I'd like you to take And that's what we'll use if you're willing to do it. If for some reason you can't or don't feel you can do that, we do have the shot available, and we'll give it to you that way, but we'd rather you take the oral medicine. And probably 90% of the time, even with very disturbed patients, they'll look at the situation, realize that they're going to be getting that medicine, and they'll go for the oral medication. For the antipsychotic medicines, there's not a huge difference in the time of onset of the oral and the injectable medicines. For the lorazepam, there is. Lorazepam has a a peak blood level at 30 minutes after an intramuscular injection and about two hours after an oral dose. And so that may be an issue. And there have even been a few cases where I've given an IM dose of the Ativan but have gone to the oral dose. Generally, I'll do the the same mode of administration both ways.
0: And can you give us a dose range on the rapidly dissolving antipsychotics?
1: Aripiprazole tablets are available in 5 and 10 milligram size. We usually go with the 10 milligram size. Olanzapine, likewise. Uh, The 5 and 10 milligram size are both reasonable. I'm about 50-50 using either one. I think either dose is reasonable. I generally go with the 5 milligram dose because it gives me a little more flexibility in dosing later. But there's a lot of data on the 10 milligram dose. It seems to work well without a lot of side effects.
0: Well, thank you so much. I feel like we've just scratched the surface, but you've given us some very useful information, again, that would work in the emergency room and I think in our outpatient offices as well. You're welcome. We've been talking with Dr. Michael Gibson and discussing how to manage acute agitation. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.